Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 33 of the Bugle for the week beginning Monday, the 16th of June, 2008, with me, Andy Zaltzman, in London, the UK, and in New York City, it's John Oliver. Hello, Buglers! I attended Kaiju Japanese Monster Wrestling... At Webster Hall in New York, and let me tell you, I cannot recommend this highly <laughs> enough to you. It was absolutely incredible. I saw a monster who was, and I quote, half hamster, half toucan. <laughs> <laughs> and he fought a cycloptopus, which is, as its name suggests, half cyclops, half ox. It ended when the hamster-toucan hybrid <laughs> did a belly splash from the top turnbuckle <laughs> onto the cycloptopus. Keep your ballet, Andy. Keep your opera. Keep your high art. Until they have hamster toucan monsters, they're going to come up short for me. To see adults put this much work into something so overwhelmingly stupid is truly life-affirming. As always, some sections of the Bugle go straight in the bin this week. A midsummer special section. Now that the evenings will start shortening from the 21st of June with the dread inevitability of impending death, we ask... What is the point of living anymore? Also, how to tell your children that you're a druid, and when is it right to start discussing the possibility of sacrificing your little ones with your partner? Also, we have a commemorative audio reconstruction of one of the big stones at Stonehenge falling over during a midsummer sacrifice, as it might have done at some point in history. <coughs> oh no, Tremlett's been squashed. Bloody hell, that is the last time I'm sacrificing here. This place has gone to shit since the Romans left. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, a special midwinter section in the bin. Why bother getting up in the morning when it's almost night time already? And for our listeners on the equator, screw you, losers! You wouldn't know a season if it came right up to you and snowed on your head. President Bush's European vacation news. And uh, President Bush has been in Europe for most of the last week as his presidency approaches its last six months. Uh, and this is a time for reflection, Andy. It's the same for any of us when we come to the end of any job we've been involved in. We look back at what we've done, what we leave behind us, how many pens we've stolen. It's just the same for US presidents. You know, for Jimmy Carter, it was 15,000 pens. <laughs> it's just as well he only had one term. They'd have had to dip into the National Stationery Reserve. <laughs> and if uh, any British listeners are wondering why their BBC licence fee keeps going up, it is because John and I did once have a job on a BBC show. All I'm saying is we've, we've never actually had to buy a pen since. <laughs> and the Times newspaper interviewed President 43 on uh, Air Force One when, incidentally, he was wearing a flight jacket with his name on and <coughs> carrying a mug which had POTUS written on it. He was drinking from a President of the United States mug. <laughs> that, that might actually seem charming if a different President had done it or if he'd been a better President. As it is, it is just inexplicably infuriating. Uh, yes, yeah, speaking to the Times on board Air Force One on his way to Ljubljana, the Slovenian capital and three-time winner of Europe's sauciest-sounding city title, <laughs> Ljubljana. Bush said that he now aims to leave his successor a legacy of international diplomacy for tackling Iran. Now, John, he's done this in three very clever and easy steps. Uh, step one, tie up almost the entire US military into intractable conflicts. <laughs> step two, set fire to and then watch a spectacular bonfire of bridges burning between America and any putative allies for a potential non-diplomatic tackle on Iran. And step three, buy an atlas and check just how big Iran is. 
So, mission accomplished. In the newspaper, he expressed regret at the rhetoric that is used around the war in Iraq. The rhetoric, Andy. That is his first and his only regret. <laughs> it seems that this is as close to accountability as we're going to get. So, enjoy it while it lasts, because it seems like it's already over. He defended these warmongering claims again from a group of German reporters. And, Andy, when you are defending yourself against charges of warmongering from a group of Germans, <laughs> you know that you have sashayed over the line. <laughs> so the rhetoric is his regret, Andy. Bush doesn't regret the gift that he has given the world, merely the wrapping paper he chose to cover <laughs> it in. He said he regrets moments such as when asked about the insurgents in Iraq, and he said, bring them on which sounds more like a 12-year-old screaming into his Halo 3 headset than it does the leader of the free world. He was worried about this and phrases such as wanting Bin Laden dead or alive indicated to people that, and I quote, I was not, you know, a man of peace. And I don't think he need worry too much there, Andy. People have not judged him on those words. They've judged him primarily on his actions, which have transcended words. He's been like a violent Marcel Marceau, communicating to the world through the international language of kaboom. Uh, so, so the epiphany that he has managed to reach in this time, seemingly, is that we're all too stupid to understand what he actually meant through these actions. That is the epiphany he's come to in front of the eyes of the world. To essentially claim that we are too moronic to understand what he meant is brave, Andy. In fact, <laughs> it's more than that. It's double brave. <laughs> and to go even further and then to immediately forgive the entire planet for our stupidity is so selfless. It, it's Christ-like, Andy. In fact, it's more than that. It's, it's double Christ-like. Well, he's very like Christ in a number of other ways, John, uh... For example, he's been an extremely divisive figure in the Middle East. That's, that's quite like Jesus. <laughs> it's true. It all racks up. Now, what he's looking for, really, is that single oratorial sentence which will explain to all of us how fantastic these last eight years have actually been. A pithy slogan to get us to see his presidency through his eyes. And whilst he singly failed to find that elusive open sesame sentence, surely now is the time. He finally has a deadline. If anything, he's had too long to come up with it so far. There's nothing like a deadline to focus your mind. Jack Kerouac wrote On the Road in three weeks, Andy. Don't tell me this administration can't come up with one sentence in almost ten times as long. <laughs> and Andy, you know the phrase that if you gave an infinite number of monkeys an infinite number of typewriters, they'd eventually write the complete works of Shakespeare? Well... This Bush administration has 350 monkeys in a room and seven months to hope they come up with that magical phrase. It's worth rolling the dice. They've got nothing to lose. Well, my personal experiments with monkeys and typewriters leads me to believe that they're much more likely to write something about a recipe for banana custard. So, let's look at his legacy now, Andy. I mean, much like we look at the legacy that a horse leaves behind it in its stable <laughs> after a fibre-based meal. I mean, it, is the world safer than it was before? I mean, probably uh, not. I think it's uh, it's probably naught percent safer. <laughs> right, that's right. To put it to put it nicely. Yeah, let's put but it. But to be fair, that's not entirely his fault. And we in Britain are not helping. This last week, a serious security breach took place after it emerged that a civil servant mistakenly left some top secret documents containing the latest intelligence on Al Qaeda on the seat of a train. And <laughs> no, first off, you really should not be reading that on a train. <laughs> oh, I don't know, John. I'm not, I disagree with that completely. I think it shows that our civil servants are so committed to fighting terror that they are willing to take their anti-terror work home with them. 
They're not just going to clock off at five o'clock and think, oh, I've done, I've done my eight hours anti-terror work today. I'm going to take this home. And I feel safer, John, knowing that instead of being left in the in-tray for another day, my civil servant is prepared to take his file home with him and bust a terror cell by skim-reading the files whilst watching the football in the background and having a beer. If I concede that point, what you need to concede is the fact that we all read over each other's shoulders <laughs> on the train, especially if the person next to you has a newspaper with an interesting-looking story, let alone if they have a document in front of them titled Joint Intelligence Report, <laughs> Al-Qaeda's Constraints and Vulnerabilities, Top Secret. <laughs> also, if you have a document like that on your person, take a cab home, <laughs> treat yourself, bill it to the taxpayer, we'll be happy to pony up if it means that you're not putting our lives in danger. Well, I think you're being a bit harsh on the guy, John, because, let's face it, I mean, we've all done it, haven't we? We've all left top-secret anti-terrorist documents on trains. When only last week I was on a train and I left a newspaper that had details of the trial of the 21st of July bombers in it. And I just hope it didn't fall into the wrong hands. But this wouldn't be quite so bad, Andy, if it wasn't isolated incident. A Ministry of Defence laptop was stolen in April from a McDonald's. From a McDonald's, Andy! <laughs> Do, do you really feel safer knowing that Britain's finest military agents are spending their lunch times ordering McChicken mega meals? Because well, I don't. I do feel safer. I don't. Safe. I no, do well, feel... I don't. I don't feel safer. I wouldn't want them taking a you know Italian-style three-hour lunch. They're busy people. Go to McDonald's, get your lunch, in and out of you in three minutes. A passenger had spotted this envelope containing the files and gave it uh, to the BBC, and the BBC subsequently handed it to the police. And uh, the BBC apparently actually mistook these papers at first glance for a pitch for a primetime reality TV game show in which ordinary members of the public have to plan and carry out a terror attack in front of a live studio audience and a judging panel featuring top terrorists from the 1980s. Other news in the war on terror now, and there is great news of a big win for Britain. Sadly, it is against the United States, <laughs> who are... Technically on our side. <laughs> An RAF fighter pilot has won a legal battle with the US Air Force in Afghanistan over the size of his handlebar moustache, <laughs> which is big, Andy. <laughs> it is a beauty. <laughs> it is a beauty. British military hero Flight Lieutenant Chris Ball, who is on an exchange posting with the US Air Force, was told to trim his moustache. What? <laughs> it is absolutely... Appalling. He refused. How dare you, Yanks? How dare you? Britain stood by him on the grounds that we conquered the world when we had massive moustaches. Our national decline in Britain coincided almost exactly with the time that we started to have second thoughts about industrial-level facial topiary. Hear, hear. All our power was contained in that facial <laughs> furniture, Andy. We were like upper-lip Samsons. Well, I cannot we should never have shaved it off. I cannot see, John, how it can be possible as a fighter pilot to have a moustache that is too big. Unless it is so big that it smashes the cockpit window and starts interfering with the aerodynamics of your aircraft. Now, I've never grown a moustache, John. I've been banned from doing so by genetics. But it must make you feel pretty close to invincible to be able to twitch some impressive whiskers before muttering, Well, 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 we appear to have a situation. I'm terribly sorry, Fritz, but you're going to have to lose this one, old chap. <laughs> In fact, I'd go further than this, John. I think there should be a minimum moustache size for all yes. fighter pilots. Yes, 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 yes. Navigators can have something a little more refined, kind of Errol Flynn style, but the pilots should be able to bristle their way into combat. <laughs> 
tangentially war on terror related resignation news now and the shadow home secretary david davis has surprised everyone including probably himself by resigning to force a by-election in his uh, constituency over the issue of the 42-day terror suspects uh, detention, which uh, the government won a vote on last week. Uh, John, my immediate thought when I heard that David Davis had resigned was that this was probably the biggest political stunt since Evil Knievel launched his 1976 presidential campaign by jumping a mobility scooter over 20 old women to highlight inadequate pension provisions for the poor. Well, that's the point, Andy. I mean, many have called this a political stunt, but, you know, if it was, it was a pretty shit one. (laughs) If you're going to do a political stunt, do it properly. Resign from government in a fireball before jumping through the window and extinguishing yourself in the Thames. There are very few precedents for this uh, kind of resignation in British politics. In in 86, all 15 Ulster Unionist MPs resigned and provoked by-elections in protest over the Anglo-Irish Agreement. In 1910, independent MP George Lansbury quits to fight a by-election in favour of votes uh, for women, a by-election which he lost. Britain wasn't quite ready <laughs> to listen to the ladies at that point. But it does seem that this is a rare principled stand taken without thought for future career. And this is the kind of example of selflessness in politics which is immediately suspicious, Andy. <laughs> there must be an ulterior motive here. What is he up to? But the government managed to force force the 42-day regulation through, but they did have to give a number of concessions to potential rebels against the uh, against the bill, uh, including these concessions. One, uh, to be a bit nicer to terror suspects in the last two weeks of their incarceration. Two, only to use it on people who look properly shifty. And three, if the terror suspects turn out not to be terrorists by way of compensation, they will be given a derelict building to commit a piece of controlled terrorism on to get any resentment against the British states uh, out of their systems. I, I always think rebels were a bit of a letdown as well, Andy. <laughs> they, should, they should really drive into the House of Commons on motorbikes, <laughs> wearing leather jackets and smoking ostentatiously. Well, they've not been allowed to do that ever since Dennis Skinner first sat as an MP. In the budget speech, in his first... He, was, he just sat there revving. Wing, ding, ding! Wing, ding, ding! Dennis, will you... Wing, ding! <laughs> Dennis, you're going to do that every time I... <laughs> wing, wing, wing! Ladies and gentlemen, when there is this level of excitement in my voice, that can only mean one thing. Please welcome the one, the only, apart from 300 million others, America! No, nice to see you. How's it going? Hello. <laughs> how, how, how are you doing today, American? Oh, yeah. Couldn't feel better. I mean, what a, what a week, huh? Do you just feel good whenever you look down at your passport? Is that oh, what gets you going in the morning? Are you kidding me? Sometimes I'll have the flu sometimes, <laughs> and I'll open up the little safe under my bed. I shouldn't have told everybody where my safe is, <laughs> but I'll open up that safe and I'll take, a, I'll crack open that passport. You know, and I've only been at like you know a couple of places. You know, like uh, I was in Canada once, and then uh, well, I was in Canada once, and then. Uh, <laughs> But I'll look at that stamp, you know, and I'll go, yeah, that's right, baby. No trouble at customs with this thing. What was the best thing about going to Canada? Was it visiting another country or was it coming back to America? Did you just enjoy coming back in? Yeah, I actually just made a wrong turn. I was uh, <laughs> just going to look. I was just going up uh, to Niagara Falls, you know, to look at the pristine beauty of the American side. <laughs> so, American, uh, the general election is underway now. You've, you've got two candidates to choose from. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, we're very excited over here. I mean, big, this, big time. It, it's been a very expensive 
run up so far. I mean, they, you really are sh- shelling out some money on this. Election. Oh yeah, big time. But I'll tell you right now. You know, I've said this before, and I know everyone agrees. You know, this is not just president of the United States. It's really president of the world. So yeah. it should cost a lot of money. <laughs> well, think about it. What are you going to do? Have an event and not drop thousands of dollars in confetti and balloons on people? I mean, that's just that's just not fiscally responsible. You <laughs> have to do that. There's a lot of controversy at the moment over uh, over the, the vice presidential. Now, when you say co- a controversy, you mean controversy, right? I mean controversy. Gotcha. <laughs> do you think uh, Obama might select Hillary? What are you, nuts? <laughs> She's like the girlfriend you can't get rid of. You know? Yeah, sweetheart, we broke up three months ago. Stop showing up with meatloaf. All right? I'm not hungry. Okay? Jesus Christ, she doesn't take a hint. I, I can't even believe it. Yeah, I mean, look, you have her as a vice president, then you got to deal with her nutty husband. This guy's going to be walking around the friggin' Oval Office in a dirty bathrobe making, <laughs> making sandwiches in the kitchen. Hey, I know that guy. Hey. What are you guys talking about foreign policy? Let me get let me get involved. Shut up. Get out of here. You know, put some pants on. Jesus. If you could choose any American in the whole of America to be vice president, who who would you cho- personally choose? Oh, that's a good question. Wow. With either of the two presidents, yeah. that's a very, very, very good question. Politician wise, I, I don't think any of them are good. I think they're all bums. Yeah. W- what about Ted Strickland? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like him. I got a hot tip from a friend. Who said Ted Strickland at twenty-five to one is wow. is going to be Obama's running mate? I'll tell you right now, that's a that's something you should get in on. Forget <laughs> forget who's going to be it, but get in on the betting because you can make a lot of money on that. Is that that's a whole other aspect, of course, to American democracy that bookmakers get so involved in it as well. I mean, you can, you can bet on. I suppose, in a way, your vote is a bet in and of itself. You yeah. want to back the winner all the time. You don't want to lose. Absolutely. Although I guess you've. Yeah. Pretty heavy losses the last eight years. Well, it depends on, you know, your side. For me, it's been a victory every year, <laughs> you know. I mean, but, you know, depending on how you feel, you know. I mean, I, I think that America's made some pretty pristine choices the last eight years. And, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think the unfortunate thing for a guy like Bush is that he's got a guy like Cheney, brilliant, brilliant political mind, has no interest in, you know, future politics, which I think is probably a pretty major disappointment of most people right. um, across the board, because really? that's the kind of guy you need up there, you know, a guy who thinks and acts, you know, he doesn't talk a lot, he just does things. <laughs> so are you, are you saying you'd vote Cheney? Yeah, you got to respect the guy, I mean, even if even if he's done some things that many people don't agree with, but he's done some things, <laughs> you know, you look back at other presidents, they haven't done anything, he's done things, oh, you he's, know? He's making sense again, Andy! <laughs> just the act of doing something to me makes a politician better than, you know, uh, right. one politician better than the next, a he doer. did something, most of these guys just talk in circles, Cheney goes, I, I got an idea, maybe we'll go kill some people, okay, <laughs> boom, those people are dead, there's not a lot of talk, I like that. He's not a thinker. No. He's a doer. Well, yeah, he thinks and then he does. You know what I mean? You're right. I I suppose of all the criticisms uh, you could level at Cheney, uh, saying that he was inactive would not be fair. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Now, we have some emails uh, from other people for you uh, coming in. Andy? Yeah, this one comes from uh, someone known as Snowden Gardasik, who... Wow. First of all, I'm sorry. (laughs) I can't imagine grade school was too fun for Snowden Gardasik. The first 17 years of Snowden's life must have been a battle. He must have been thrilled to get to college. Unless he went to a, a very liberal college. Unless he went to a very expensive Swiss school in the mountains. Uh, he's from Houston in Texas. Oh, um, okay. So it yeah. would have been fine. Yeah, he's it fine. Been fine. <laughs> it's fine. That makes perfect sense. Throw money at the problem. Yeah, I take it back. I apologize, Snowden. <laughs> and he writes, Dear the American, I've decided to join the armed forces, but I'm not sure which branch. Between the Navy and the Army, which is more American? Wow. Ooh. That's wow. a very, very good question. I mean, they're Snowden, both, they're I'm both gonna, pretty American. I'm going to tell you right now, 
Thank you for doing that. Any, <laughs> either branch you choose is a good branch. I yeah. mean, I think that what you need to think about, and I really do honestly respect your choice to do that, and we all do in here in America. Thank you for making that choice. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you join the Navy, keep this in mind, there's a lot of water. Yep. So if you don't like being on boats, go with the army. <laughs> good right? advice. Yeah, that that's is, all I'm going to say. That is excellent advice. I don't know and if you want to spend the whole time in the. I mean, new, I know me. I go out on like you know a pleasure cruise. I need to take yes. dramamine. You know, so yeah. uh, you know, I, I would, if I were you, I would just be careful about that. And I don't think this is thought about enough. So much of the Royal Air Force in Britain is uh, frightened of heights. Yeah, and it's. Just, yeah. I mean, that could have been headed off at the start. I think that's a, that would have been smart. <laughs> if to you head don't off. like water, yeah, don't join the navy. Yeah. If you don't like flying, don't join the air force. And if you don't like walking, the army might not be for you. <laughs> <laughs> American, have you ever uh, joined uh, joined uh, the armed forces? Have you ever thought about serving? Yeah. Yeah, no, I was gonna, but then like you know, because uh, I would have thought you'd be very good in a combat situation. Well, yeah, no, I got natural leadership abilities and stuff. You well, love your country. No, you know, not, you know, I that's... love my country. Yeah, definitely love it. Um, you can take your Hummer out for a spin. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you do definitely get to drive cool vehicles. I, you know, I thought about it for a while, but then you know, I, I was so busy with my you know my job yeah. at the uh, thing. I was working for a while, so yeah. I couldn't. And then. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I yeah maybe I don't know I'm old I'm older now too and I'm a little flat footed, um, not gay or anything I'm just yeah. saying you know. <laughs> well, no, but, I mean uh, there's no absolutely yeah, no there'd connection. There'd be no other reason that I couldn't join. <laughs> well, there's, like, there's, no, there's no connection between yeah. flat feet and, and no no I'm just saying like you know I can run and stuff you yeah. know I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in really good shape. But, I mean there's there's no connection between that and gayness either. I mean gay people can run too. <laughs> oh no I'm not saying they can't run I'm just yeah. saying you know yeah. like you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, uh, obviously, you don't want like a gay guy fighting for you. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? And then, I, I mean, mean uh, really? know, right? I don't it, want to be disrespectful, but in, that's kind of ridiculous. Interestingly, I mean, California has just uh, just passed some very uh, uh, very liberal and uh, some would say moral laws on gay marriage. How do you feel about uh, gay marriage? I got to tell you, I, I actually think it's the right thing, and, and I'm going to tell you why. And this might shock a lot of okay. people. I'll tell you why. There's because I think gay people have had it too good for too long. <laughs> okay, and that's why they're always so happy. Okay. You know what? They if, are naturally yeah. happy. And you know what? You you understand the miseries of marriage, and let's see if you're wearing yes. jean shorts and a, and a rollerblading around town singing a song, okay? Because believe me, believe me, it will it will destroy your soul. So let them experience the misery the rest of us have experienced, okay? American, yeah. thank you once again for joining us and sharing your wisdom with, with us. With you too. Oh yeah, yeah. happy to. <laughs> Your emails now, and this one comes from Kieran Nicholson in Glasgow, who writes, Dear Bugle Overlords, and for future reference for all our emailers, that is the title by which we now insist <coughs> on being addressed. I'm both shocked and awed to find that you have not mentioned the recent end of Mike Gravel's political career. As stated on his website, Mike's career in active politics is now over. I would like to know when and in what manner you will choose to apologise to Mike Gravel for not supporting his campaign with the burning passion of a thousand sons. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, I will apologise immediately. I will do that through the medium of MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This. <laughs> ma, 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 music hits me so hard, makes me say, oh my lord, thank you for blessing me with a mountain ram and two high feet, it's good. When you know you're down, rocking the beat all over this time, it's hyped. As such, and this is a beat you can't touch. <laughs> Apology... Offered, Mike, I do hope that's accepted. <laughs> John, how do you know the words to that song? I don't know. There was a, there was a period in music, <laughs> unfortunately a very bad period in music, <laughs> circumstantially, where every song I heard 
went into my head. That is my secret shame. I know the lyrics for some absolutely monstrous songs off by heart. Uh, there's an email here from Romaine who says, Hello, bugle makers. Uh, I remember that you recently talked about Zimbabwe's massive inflation. I recently received this photo of a restaurant bill from the Jungle Junction restaurant in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, uh, that bills the customer for, wait for it, $1.24 billion for dinner, two beers, and a mineral water. It is not known if this included the tip. I've actually looked at uh, this uh, picture, and we're going to put it on the website. It really is something extremely special to look at. It really is worth going to the website to look at this. And it actually doesn't include tip. What a missed opportunity. You have the opportunity for the single biggest tip ever awarded. A tip of multi... 15% of that is... I mean, you're looking at at least... What, 170 million? Yeah, yeah, 180, 180 million dollars. Uh, I mean, that, it, that indicates tremendous service. Tremendous. <laughs> the waitress was Joylene, and Joylene, I do hope you received a tremendous tip for that. <laughs> Hotties from history now, and this one comes from Sarah Felix, who writes... Dear Andy and John, I have the ultimate hottie from history to nominate, a man of pure modesty and humility, and I think his greatest characteristic was his unyielding mercy towards his enemies. Allow me to introduce you to King Ashura Serpal II, a Syrian king from 884 to 859 BC. Let me take a moment to describe what this guy humbly did when faced with a rebellion within his empire. Once he had quelled the rebellion, he decided to make a pillar, a monument, to recognise those with the courage to rebel. His material of choice for this pillar, well, the skin of the rebels, of course. What greater memorial could there be? Sarah continues, but wait, he wasn't done. He wouldn't be the hottie I'd cry for at night, waiting to rise from the dead, if he'd stopped there. He stuffed the pillar with some of the rebels. It is insinuated that they were actually still alive. He impaled others on the pillar... And yet others he tied up to stakes around the pillar. He then also wow. made a second pillar of heads. He also tied heads to the trunks of trees throughout the city. Can oh you imagine that sight? <laughs> I think London or New York, says Sarah, could really do with some trees doled up with human heads. They truly don't make men the way they used to. Sarah, if you find yourself attracted to him, <laughs> you, you, my friend, have a type. <laughs> Do keep your emails and hottie nominations coming in to thebugle at timesonline.co.uk. Sport now, and, well, it's been a very disappointing start to Euro 2008, the European Football Championships for the British nations. England, very disappointing, yet to pick up a point. So too Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. It's all, I mean, it's just really disappointing, John. Yet again, at a big tournament, they just haven't really turned up. Now, f- focus on the positive, Andy. We're undefeated so far. Yep, true. No, it's, we've kept a clean sheet. Very tight at the back. But I feel that's just because they've not been attacking enough by virtue of <laughs> all being about 3,000 miles away on the beach. That's just not the right formation if you want to win a tournament. But I- I've been watching it here in uh, America, Andy, the United States of America, and uh, some of the commentary... Generally, sports commentary is far better in America. It's, it's an art... And there was a wonderful moment during uh, the first Germany game as Germany uh, scored quite a good goal. And uh, the commentator started screaming, this is why the war had to come down. This is why capitalism had to reign. (laughs) (laughs) That is something very special. And it's only a shame that Americans care so little about football that no one will have heard him say that. Maybe... It was knowing that which made him say that, that he was just screaming into a tempest. 
shouting into a void. But to claim that a goal scored by Germany indicates why capitalism had to become king. <laughs> well, I'm not it's sure just that's magnificent. I don't think the logic stands up, though, John, because... You know, there, yes, was, it does. there were some pretty good goals scored by communist players in the past. I mean, you think instantly, don't you, of Vasily Ratz's goal in 1986 against France. That was a 40-yard thunderbolt. That really suggested that, yes, Stalin might have killed a few too many million people, but maybe when you see that goal, you know, you can see two sides of every coin. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> now, as the search goes on to an appropriate spiritual successor to the late... Much lamented audio cryptic crossword. This week, as suggested by some of you in e- emails, we are doing a spot the difference competition. Can you spot the difference between these two clips? Hi, John. Hi, Andy. How's it going? Uh, it's all right. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast? I haven't had any breakfast yet, Andy. I've just had two cups of coffee. Hi, John. Hi, Andy. How's it going? Uh, it's all right. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast? I haven't had any breakfast yet, Andy. I've just had two cups of coffee. Well, uh, see if you spotted the difference at home. If there was a difference. Bugle forecast now, and our forecast this week is what will have happened over the weekend at the US Open in Torrey Hills. John, my forecast is that Phil Mickelson, the famous American golfer, yeah. will, on the 18th green at the end of round four, having narrowly missed out on the title, tear his mask off and prove truly to have been the killer Charles Manson. That's right. my prediction. Okay. None okay. of the pundits are saying that at the moment, but sure. I've just had a bit of an inside tip. Well, I've got a, I've got a prediction. I'm, pre- I'm pretty confident about this one. I think that uh, Ernie Els, the uh, famous South African golfer, is going to uh, be eaten by a crocodile on the 12th green. Uh, but he's then going to go on to win that tournament. <laughs> From within the crocodile? From inside the crocodile. So, so he and the crocodile together. Now, he'll be wearing the crocodile almost like a suit, and <laughs> he will go on uh, to win that tournament, and that he will then continue to play... They're superstitious players, golfers, and I think he will go on to play as that crocodile uh, until he retires. Right. Well, I think after that show today, John and I probably both need to go and read some facts just to, yeah. just to I think get I need, in touch. I think I need to take five minutes to grow up a bit, Andy. Yeah, I think. Even if it's just yeah. growing up five minutes worth, yeah. it'll, it'll be noticeable. Yeah. You have to do these things in small steps. Small yeah. five-minute steps. Anyway. <laughs> Keep your emails coming in to the bugle at timesonline.co.uk and we'll be back with more lies next week. Bye. Goodbye, buglers.
Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>